Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 43, Scrap, Section 29s. I love the whole idea of how words can mean different things to different people. Being Irish, we're, we're, we're brilliant at it. You know, if you, if you aren't Irish and you asked an Irish person to do something and then heard him say, I will, yeah, you probably imagine it would mean that the person was going to do the thing you asked. And I love how the word grand can mean anything from absolutely amazing to absolutely awful. And I especially love the term the fear. And in teaching, there are some terms that give any teacher the fear. For example, put the letters W, S and E together and you'll get a wave of panic. Drive-by does something similar because both of these mean a visit from the Kigara or the inspector. Principals also have another term that brings the fear to them. It's called a section 29. And in this episode, I'll be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I'd be scrapping them. Hello everyone, this is uh, Simon Lewis from Anshaw.net and uh, you're very welcome to episode 43 all about scrapping section 29s. For those of you who aren't in the know, um, a section 29 is basically the 29th section of the Education Act from 1998. Uh, funnily enough, until I looked that up, I had no idea what it meant either. Um, and I've heard some people say um, they use this podcast to help them get to sleep. So I decided to ensure this would happen. I'm actually going to read directly from the Education Act from section 29. Think of it, I suppose, like a very long verse from the Bible. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, um, I don't know. It, it, that's probably the, the best description I can give it. <laughs> so here we go. One, where a board or a person acting on behalf of the board, A, permanently excludes a student from a school or B. Suspends a student from attendance at a school for a period to be prescribed for the purpose of this paragraph. Or C. Refuses to enrol a student in a school. Or D. Makes a decision of a class which the minister blah 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 blah. I'm not actually going to read that last bit because it's not relevant. But if any of these things happen, so to translate that into English, so if a child is expelled, if a child is suspended, or if a school refuses to enrol a student in the school, the parent of the student or in the case of the student who's reached the age of 18 years, um, the student may, within a reasonable time, from the date that the parent, or so, like, again, I'm, I'm actually boring myself by reading it, effectively they can appeal the decision to the Secretary General of the Department of Education and Science, and that appeal shall be heard by a committee appointed uh, by said person. Um, look, I won't bore you any further uh, with any more of it. I mean, gosh. I actually was reading it there and I thought, no, it's, it's just too boring to even read. Um, but basically, that's the summary of it. Uh, a section 29 is an appeals process in case a child is excluded or expelled from school, suspended from school, or a school will not enrol them for any reason. But, you know, that's kind of really all it is. Um, and why would a child, why would a school not allow a child into their school just in the last point? Possibly because the school is full or... Um, 
Uh, really, I can't think of any other reason, to be honest with you. I'll deal with um, the situations. Uh, if we can divide them into two, not allowing a child to enroll because the school is full or because the school has excluded the pupil, either as a, su a suspension or an expulsion. So I'll deal with both of these situations here and hopefully try and give you a good reason why neither of them actually require a Section 29 mechanism. I might have time to tell you briefly about my own experience of a Section 29, obviously without giving any of the details of the case away. I've had one in my uh, uh, career as a principal. To be honest with you, I found the whole experience fascinating. Um, I actually nearly enjoyed it, but more on that later. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Irish primary education sector, you might wonder why a school would refuse to enrol a child. Now, I've explained possibly because they're full, but why would this actually happen? Because if you don't live in Ireland, it's probably likely that you would think, surely children simply go to the nearest school to their house and their local authority would ensure that there's enough school places in their area to accommodate all the places in that class. And in the off chance that there's a year where there's just loads of kids born um, in that particular year, that, that's all managed by local authorities. Well, slow down, Mr. Logic. No, 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 not in Ireland, no. But, well, in fairness in Ireland, in most cases, families do send their ch child to their nearest school. However, in the middle classes, one of the most fun activities parents have in their yummy mummy groups when their child is born is to discuss at length which school within an hour's radius is the good school. Now, we don't have league tables in Ireland, but unofficially, if you go to any toddler group, and the towns, the basically the towns league tables are judged and marked by those groups and at length. Oh, I've heard the teacher in junior infants in St. Fiacres is very strict and my fear is so sensitive it would give her panic attacks. Well, says another, I've heard she might be strict but I've heard every single one of her pupils ended up doing medicine in university. Well, I heard, says yet another, that the Gwale school beside it is even more strict and the teachers there make junior infants do senior infant curriculum because they're so advanced and you know how important the Irish language is to me. And so on. Yes, friends, in Ireland, choosing your child's school is a bit like going to your local Tesco and going to the cereal section and making a choice between Tesco's finest muesli, Tesco regular muesli and Tesco's value muesli. They all provide you with exactly the same muesli, but you can show off to your friends the packaging that you've chosen. Basically, in Ireland, a family can choose whatever school they want to send their child to, um, and uh, much like they can choose the brand of muesli they want to eat. And while all schools do provide the exact same level of education, Ireland does have another layer of silliness built into it. Someone outside of Ireland might have expected that the most important thing about a school would be the education aspect of it. But no, 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 no. In Ireland, the most important thing about the school is who runs it. That's the most important thing about a school in Ireland. Who basically owns it um, or manages it. And while many countries have public and private school systems, Ireland has this very weird hybrid at primary level. Almost every single primary school in Ireland is a private school. But, is it in, but <laughs> I, I, as I'm saying, the sentence is just so weird. Every single primary school in Ireland is a private school, but it's an, actually, it's, a, it's an entirely public system. 
And I realized this makes absolutely no sense. So I better explain, okay? For some reason, the Irish government does not have any responsibility for managing primary schools. Instead, what they do is they give taxpayers money to private bodies to run schools. And up until 1978, these private bodies were either the Catholic Church, the Church of Ireland, or in one case, the Jewish Representative Council. And then Educate Together came along, and then a whole bunch of other private bodies came along, and by 2020, there are now over a dozen different patron bodies, all doing their own thing. So if you live in a hypothetically big enough town, you could have a choice of several Catholic schools, a Church of Ireland school, some sort of redeemed Christian school, an Educate Together school, a Community National school, a Steiner school, a Gwale school, a Muslim school, and a Jewish school or some type of school called Skull Sinead, maybe a model school if you cut across the city. There's absolutely almost nothing stopping you from picking whatever school floats your boat. So, so I suppose one, one question you might ask is, why isn't this actually a good thing? Surely choice is always a good thing. Well, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that the concept of free school choice is a total misnomer unless you live in one area of South Dublin. Because in most parts of the country, there is no school choice because there is only one school in an area and it generally is always a Catholic school. So if you're not Catholic, then you really have no choice and you end up having to go to a school that can't respect you. So basically, there's no choice. Like take me, for example. If I lived in Dublin 6, I wouldn't really have the same choice as someone who subscribes to the Catholic faith. The fact is that school choice basically segregates children into ghetto-type situations and scenarios. Everybody knows that there are certain schools in their area where certain people go. And if you look at the outskirts of any big town in Ireland, there's always a school in a village about three or four kilometres outside of the town centre which has a bigger population than the village itself. <laughs> now, while white flight isn't unique to Ireland, it is exacerbated by this misnomer of school choice. Um, and, and, and this is the thing, like I, I gave you two examples there, probably a bit rushed into each other, you know, that you could choose a school based on your religion or if you are the wrong religion, basically, if you're not Catholic, you, you basically don't have a choice anymore. Um, and um, basically, if you are Catholic, you can choose to go to the village school um, outside of the town centre because of the concept of white flight. You're not mixing with um, basically children who tend to live in urban areas who would be more multicultural. However, apart from that sort of segregated, um, and I would call it an apartheid model of education, I don't mince my words here, I absolutely call this an apartheid model, the problems don't end there. Giving people free choice of school means that the perceived good schools become oversubscribed very quickly, meaning that there are fewer places for children than the demand. Now, in 99.9% .9 of cases when a school is oversubscribed, there are schools nearby that are struggling to fill their classrooms. Um, because to be fair to the government, they generally are pretty good at ensuring that there's enough seats in schools for the number of children that exist. The trouble is that some of these seats aren't good enough for some of our yummy mummy brigade. But more seriously, um, some of these seats are ones where a child sitting in them is actually forced to be part of a religious indoctrination um, strategy. I would guess <laughs> probably the only word, I don't know. It's part of some religious missionary that basically anyway whatever it is that goes against his or her family's conscience 
And finally, I'm going to get to my point in this episode. What's this got to do with Section 29s? Because the only real reason that a child is generally refused an enrolment in a school, all things being equal, is that a class is full. And it's usually full because there are some children in these classes that probably don't come from the catchment area. And this is sometimes out of necessity. Like, for example, in my case, because of the silly system that we have, I have to bypass a few, uh, a couple of schools because between my house and the school or, uh, uh, and the school that I, I send my child to, which is the school I work in, um, there are a couple of Catholic schools and they're all Catholic. Like, and, and I don't want to subject my child to any form of religious indoctrination which I think is a reasonable thing, although some people might call me a yummy daddy uh, for such absolute, you know, ridiculous uh, wants and needs. Imagine not wanting your child uh, indoctrinated into the Catholic faith when you're not Catholic. Anyway, however, sometimes the reason isn't because of necessity. Now, I'm, my necessity is, is, is not wanting my child to be uh, indoctrinated into a faith we don't um, consider part of our lives, but sometimes it's because someone like Penelope heard that little Killian would thrive in a school in the next parish because they have a chess club, you know? And poor little Killian's very sensitive and doesn't really like sport. Now, I know I'm being absolutely trite here and someone might take the mickey out of me, um, for having such strong feelings against religious indoctrination but my point is there's simply really no reason to have all these different types of schools when 95 percent of what we all do is the same so when killian can't get into the chess school or if my son couldn't get into the nearest school that respects his rights as a human being the only avenue open to us whatever our reasons is to take a section 29 out against the school now i've just realized i uh, I've been harping on about this section 29 for quite some time. I, 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 I think we're nearly 15 minutes into this podcast and I haven't had the decency to really explain what it is properly. Now, so let's go through what it, what it, what it does. So to summarise my case, let's say, I try and enrol my son in the school of my choice and they refuse saying, we're full. Now, while I know they're full, or maybe even if I suspect that they're not, I can apply for a section 29. So what do I do? I fill out a form. School, you know, the education system likes forms. The school is contacted by some sort of mediator who tries to convince the school to take my child on. The mediator uh, basically asks for proof that the school is full and they ask for the enrollment policy, they ask for lots and lots of paperwork. And this takes the school a good bit of time that they generally don't have to do and probably annoys them uh, as a result. Anyway, the next step is the principal and the chairperson are summoned to a meeting somewhere in some blank office and they sit opposite um, me, who the parent, who is looking very cross because my child didn't get into their school. And there are three judges, for want of a better word, also at this table. Now the three judges then basically pummel the school with questions, trying to find any flaws in their enrollment policy, and then they either force the school to take the pupil on or not. And the whole process takes the school ages, and the paperwork, and there's basically, you know, with all the paperwork and all that, and there's absolutely no recognition for any of this. And the whole thing is completely unnecessary. Because ultimately, the only reason for having a system like this is the fact that we have such a stupid patronage system. If we simply had schools in the same way we have fire stations, hospitals, guard stations, car tax offices and so on, there wouldn't actually be any need for section 29s. You would just go to your nearest school, which would not be run by some religious order, it would just be run by the state. 
Now, I've gone through several episodes where the purpose was scrapping the patronage model. And if it was as simple as that to get rid of Section 29s, there probably wouldn't be a need for a separate episode for this topic. However, Section 29s are also used if a child is excluded from school, and it doesn't really matter what patronage the school is. It's either through a long suspension or an expulsion. In this case, where a child has been excluded from school, a Section 29 can be taken against the school in order for the school to have to take the child back. Now, I'd have to argue that a Section 29 just seems like a bit of a buffer for cases like this. And if I'm considering it just a bit of a buffer, it also follows that it's completely pointless. Firstly, it's extremely rare for a child to be excluded from primary school. Um, in a survey, I think it was last year, last year uh, from the National Principals Forum, who are, uh, for those of you who haven't heard of the National Principals Forum, they're a lobby group of practicing principals. Uh, I'm involved in the group as a, dis- uh, I suppose a disclaimer, um, and uh, they do a number of surveys and they pass on their findings to representative bodies who, uh, who, are, who choose to ignore them, to be honest with you. But the data is really, really great. Um, because it's filled in by practicing school principals. Anyway, um, in a recent survey from them last year, in the last decade, uh, the majority of schools have excluded an average of less than one pupil from their school. Well less than one pupil, in fact, not just a little bit less. Getting to a point where a child is excluded from a school takes a huge amount of time. I, I have excluded children from my school, and on average it has taken around two years to have built up enough evidence to make that final call and when I say evidence um, this is after huge uh, amounts of interventions strategies planning um, meetings and so on to to, to get out there are so many steps along the way a child rarely gets excluded without the involvement of a large number of agencies including TUSLA the child protection agency so in order to get to the section 29 aspect of this a child that's excluded from school has to go through a serious amount of interventions from several agencies and in my opinion the section 29 is just an extra layer of bureaucracy that really isn't needed for me in the event of an expulsion it should just basically be handled by handled by tusla you know there's no need for the section 29 as i said they've they're already involved very heavily and when there's a risk of a child losing his or her place in a school you know they, um, they should be there. I mean, right now, they act as an advocate for the child, even in the Section 29 court cases. However, if a school has exhausted all of its options for the child and can prove this, TUSLA should be able to ascertain if this is the case or not and if they find the school has exhausted all their options. And if they have, then TUSLA needs to take over to try and find another suitable placement, whether that's another mainstream primary school, a special school, a special class, or whatever suit whatever is the right um placement for the child now it seems so simple why are we not doing it unfortunately i don't actually have the answer to that but i can tell you the advantage of getting rid of it because really there's very little point to them um to be honest with you and the upshot of actually getting rid of section 29s is it'll save money <laughs> i mean for the for the for the taxpayer it costs the taxpayer around 3 million euro in the last decade section 29s now i know that's a very very small amount of money um but that money uh, if you if you look at it 3 million would have paid for six snas for a decade now i know six snas over an, an entire education system is a lot 
but it would be it might be actually the answer to many of the issues of why a child has been excluded from school if an SNA was put in place in some cases however the main thing really apart from saving money is section 29 are just another layer in education that simply isn't needed one of the themes in my podcast um, if you're a regular listener is that the education system is just overly complicated mostly because of the patronage system and I, I think section 29s are just one little offshoot of the system which could easily be trimmed away really uh, as I, I and most of you would, uh, who would have listened to this podcast usually would compare the education I, I usually compare the education system to Christmas decorations that have been left in the attic but if you allow me to mix my metaphors um, just for just for now um, I I think you could you could also compare the education system to branches of a tree for this purpose a tree has lots of branches and branches grow other little branches which suck the life out of the main branch I think isn't that how trees work well if you have an apple tree you'll notice the trees with fewer little branches um, have bigger and better apples and the ones with those little small offshoots tend to have smaller and less healthy looking apples and to deal with this gardening folk tend to pare back these excess little branches I mean I, I, I don't need to go on I mean really section 29s to me are not a big branch but they are a little small one that could easily be pruned away and if I were the Minister for Education I'd be getting my pruning tool out and snipping it away so that is it for this week I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to join in every Friday for uh, our next episode this podcast can be found on uh, Apple Podcasts Spotify and any of the other podcasting apps simply by searching for on Shaw's podcast or if I were the Minister for Education I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast and if you do as a little bonus you get to get the uh, podcast a little earlier than everybody else um, also if you don't mind and I'd really appreciate this and thank you to the many people who've done this I'd love you to leave a positive review of the podcast so others can find it more easily that is it for this week thanks so much for listening and I'll be back next week with our next episode all the best <laughs>